on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. I found so fascinating and potent about this work is that, you know, a lot of times when people heal the emotional roots of physical problems, the physical problems will disappear. I've seen that happen over and over again. And it's so interconnected. And like the fact that psychedelics and plant medicine are revealing this connection is so powerful. I mean, that's the our innate capacity for healing just continues to blow me away. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise. 
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. I am so excited to introduce our guest on the show today, Melissa Stengel. So a little bit about Melissa. After spending years working in scientific labs and corporate offices, Melissa realized the healing and transformative potential of working responsibly with psychedelics and plant medicine. In 2015, she consciously chose to leave corporate America and move to live and work in the Amazon jungle. Melissa has since used her background in engineering, science, and management to help advance the plant medicine and psychedelic movements. First by helping run a top-rated ayahuasca center in Peru, and now as founding partner and COO for Soltara, a Shipibo-led ayahuasca center in Costa Rica, with a focus on integration. She is passionate about using her technical, managerial, and problem-solving skills to help bridge the gap between the Western world and the incredible healing potential of plant medicine, their traditions, and a holistic approach to health. It is such an honor to have you on the show today with us, Melissa. Thanks for having me, Tiffany. Great to see you. It's so good to see you, too. It's been so long. We just spoke a little bit about your kind of big leap moment in your bio, but I always like to start off with the personal. And, you know, you come from this sciences background, and I think I read somewhere that you were specifically in the realm of cancer research biology, which is, wow, really a huge, a huge field to be in. You know, it's no wonder to me that Saltara attracts some of the brightest and talented minds in psychedelic science, um, shamanism, psychology, and healthcare. You know, for those who sit on your board, for example, Dennis McKenna and Gabor Mate. And, you know, for me, I would love to begin by exploring kind of specifically what it was that happened to you that supported this big leap from corporate into the world of plant medicine and the work that you're doing now. If you can just, I don't know, give give some shape or color to that moment or those series of moments. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of like to joke sometimes that it feels like the plants recruited me because I felt as though my life was going in one very uh, stringent and clear direction. And, and then it was almost tangential the way that uh, this part of the path happened for me. So I was always very science-minded growing up. I really loved math, um, really loved scholarship and academia. As you mentioned before, I was interested in helping find a cure for cancer. That was sort of my hope and approach uh, into my college years. And so I was blessed enough to be a part of some really interesting research and laboratories that studied lung cancer and brain cancer. And I also had a desire to really exercise the logic side of my brain. So I got a degree in engineering as well. And after a few years of working in labs and seeing kind of the the pace of scientific research, I got a little bit discouraged because I didn't want to spend the next 
10, 15 years of my life working in a lab to maybe produce a paper or two that maybe sat on a shelf for a while and maybe was used. And to me, I, I felt like there was more that I could be doing out in the world, having a direct effect on people, but I had no idea what. And I ended up at the end of my time in university, I had been working in labs for some time. I got my master's and I was kind of hoping to try something different. I didn't really feel like I could go for my PhD or spend that much more time doing this research. And right at the end of my university time, I had opened myself up a little bit to psychedelics. I had tried psilocybin in an accidental ceremonial context, actually. I didn't really know what ceremony was really at that time, but uh, it turned out that kind of looking back, that was a really, uh, that really was what it was. We kind of had created our own ceremony approach to it, and that really opened me up to this possibility that there's more to reality more to our understanding of ourselves than I had previously connected to at all. And so as I was about to take a corporate job that was really going to just help pay the bills and maybe learn some manage management skills, um, between kind of graduating and, and starting this job, I was really looking for something different to do, something that would maybe set me up in the right mindset to kind of enter this next chapter of my life. And this thread of, of psychedelics had just kind of started, the seeds had really just been planted and I found myself on Reddit, uh, the internet forum, that that day that I discovered this uh, ayahuasca sub subreddit, I think it's called, and I was just looking through it and I came across this post that said, I take people into the jungle to participate in ceremonies with Peruvian shamans, ask me anything. and. I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I've never even heard of that before. I started reading through. I started asking questions. I got answers back. Um, and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So I ended up following this person, Dan Cleland, who had written this post. Um, and he was advertising for a June solstice journey that year, which was divine timing, really quite perfect because it was right in between those, uh, me graduating and starting this new job. So it's like, maybe this is something that, you know, I can do. And I don't know, it just feels, feels right. feels like something that I'm feeling called to. And at the time, my partner, uh, was also very new to kind of this plant medicine, psychedelic realm. And he was like, there's no way you're going to go into the jungle and do some drugs with some guy you met on Reddit. There's, there's no way that's happening. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I just have a really good feeling about this. He was like, oh, great. You have a good feeling about this. Awesome. You're, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> and, you know, I, I look back now and really it was the first time that my intuition kind of tugged at me and I decided to follow that intuition rather than follow what I thought I should be doing. And so I would say that that was probably a bit of like the first little leap there because um, I just, you know, I got... Uh, when he said that, I was kind of like, well, I mean, I really feel like I need to do this. And if you're so nervous, come with me. Let's do this together. So he ended up coming with me and it was it was an amazing trip. I, you know, not without its 
it's uh, jungle challenges. We ended up getting stuck somewhere in the mud in our bus and had to hire a 12 year old with a boat to get us to our first ceremony. And we were traveling all over. It was like, it was a very, you know, very um, otherworldly experience in many aspects. Um, and that we, we did just two ceremonies during that trip. And I just really connected with every person in my life that had meant something to me at that time, um, just really going through every single person and feeling into the gratitude and my connection with them and the love I had for them and um, really understanding like, wow, life is so much, life is so, it's all about the people. It's all about that connection. Um, and, and that feeling that kind of love was something that I hadn't really appreciated as much as I think, you know, I was very focused on the academia and my path and career and all of that. And, um, that, that really allowed me to take a step back. And, and then I also had a ceremony that really leaned into my creative spirit. And so it was transformative for both of us. And at the end of that trip, I told Dan, I said, you know, I love what you're doing here. This is amazing. Um, I have to go take this job, but I'd love to keep in touch. So that was 2013. And then 2014, uh, he ended up building a center in Peru. So from that trip, it went so well. It was his first trip outside of working with just friends and family. Um, and from that trip, he actually met um, his business partner for his center down in Peru. They ended up building a center in 2014. And by 2015, they were looking to expand um, and, and grow the team. And at that time, I was two years into the job that I I didn't like exactly as much as I thought I wouldn't like it. Um, it. I learned a lot and I'm really grateful for it. And it was very much a corporate, relatively toxic culture. Um, didn't really feel meaningful and fulfilling. I'm sure many people can relate to this type of uh, work. And I was just, I was asking for a change. I was maybe going to move out West. I was, you know, I, ju I just asked the universe. I was like, I just need a big change. I needed to get out of Philadelphia and one day in my inbox, I got an email that said, we're expanding and we're hiring an operations manager from Dan. And it was probably the easiest cover letter I've ever written in my entire life. Like it just poured out of me in 30 minutes. And I was like, yep, <laughs> like this is, I was like, I don't think I'm going to get it, but I have to apply. Like I would shoot myself if I, you know, didn't apply. So, um, you know, he gets back to me a few days later and he says, okay, you know, we like your, your resume and, um, you know, do you understand that this means moving to Iquitos, Peru in the middle of the jungle for at least a year and also that you need to learn Spanish enough to talk with fast talking slang using Peruvians. And I was like, yes, I understand. And give me two months. And so I, I was like, all right, well, I got the job. I asked for the change. Now I have to take it. <laughs> like, so there was just like, it was one of those things where one thing led to another and I ended up um, quitting my job and selling a lot of my things and um, and ending my relationship and, and picking everything up and, and yeah, taking that leap. Um, and it was tangential from there. Um, I had the the privilege to work with healers down there for two years and just really immerse myself in the medicine space, um, really learn from, from the Shipibo and the plants. And, um, yeah, it's, it's obviously it's changed my life. So here we are. <laughs> 
Woo, what a story. I don't think I officially heard the full rundown, and I'm sure there's so much more in there, but I am so thankful that you heeded the call (laughs) (laughs) and everything unfolded in the path in front of you because, right, I mean, you can plan to a certain extent, but I think the power of plant medicine is that it just gives you what you really need and sometimes not in the way that you think you need it. And you begin to learn to trust in that. And sorry, I was just going to say the craziest thing is that once, you know, I really thought a move like that would be so complicated. And to your point, you know, the, the medicine, as soon as you kind of step into that flow, and it's not just me I've seen this with, but with so many other people, when you step into that flow, went a lot smoother than I thought. Like you'd think that making this giant life change, you know, it wasn't without its challenges, but honestly, I was kind of amazed when I finally found myself in Peru and I was like, oh, wow, that just was actually really straightforward. (laughs) And so, yeah, I I relate to that sort of this opening of the path when you're, when you're kind of following that, that thread. You know, it's interesting too, because this word integration is such a big part of the show, and I know it's such a big part of Soltara. And I, you know, in hearing your story, I don't know if you use the word integration, but it seems like you had this really powerful, life-changing experience with the medicine. And then, you know, you took the job for two years, but then you kind of you kind of followed the the calling of plant medicine to go forth with what it was that was true for you. You know, I would love to kind of shift into what this word integration means because, you know, as someone who attended Soltara like three years ago, was it? What really struck me about the center was how much importance you all placed on this experience called integration. And that's not something that I saw so much in other places. And I knew on some level that that would be important, but I didn't realize, of course, how important that would be until I went through the experience and understood, wow, there's such a big thing that happens when you do plant medicine, but there's also such a big thing that happens afterwards. And that could potentially be very overwhelming if you don't have support or community or, you know, some kind of framework in place to think about that. So I would love for you to tell us about what this word integration means to you and and how it shows up in Soltara. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I first went down to work in Peru, we talked about integration a little bit and, you know, we would kind of say, okay, the hard work starts when you go back home. You know, let's talk about dietary things. Let's talk about, you know, some tools and practices that might help. Um, but there, that was pretty much the end of the conversation. And when I was about a year and a half into working in Peru, I got a message from the medicine that was like, you're not, you don't need to drink any more medicine for a long time. You need to go integrate what you've learned. And it stopped giving me any answers. Uh, And so I ended up leaving Peru and going back to um, California to stay with my mom for about a year, um, working remotely and really just resettling my system and trying to take the lessons and insights that I'd learned in Peru and see how I could be a vessel for their expression into the world. 
And to me, you know, going back home into, especially after being in a bubble for an extended period of time, but really anybody who comes to kind of this, you know, contained space of openness and connection and medicine and jungle, and then having this potentially transformative experience and then going back home to the same environment and the same patterns and habits and energies and people, um, that maybe, you know, maybe they're not different and maybe you are, or, you know, maybe there's some different, there's some disconnect or some different perspective that you have now, or there's a lot of triggers that, you know, could potentially set you back into your old ways if you're not careful. And so when I experienced some of these things, I was like, wow, like I, I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't know who to turn to. Like nobody in near my mom's neighborhood really understood about plant medicine. I didn't feel like I could just go to a therapist cause like they don't know about plant medicine either. And so I felt distraught and, and kind of depressed actually for that period of time. And, you know, really what I felt was needed, just like what I wish I had had and what I felt was also being called forth by the community um, was more support after the retreat and really helping to orient people to the fact that the healing process is not just the retreat experience itself. It's the, it's expanded beyond that. It's before and it's after it's lifelong. I mean, really. Um, and so, you know, how can we help people to have the retreat experience be essentially the catalyst for the healing journey and not frame it as that's the healing in and of itself. And then you, and then you go home and you're healed and then you, you know, and then if you have any setbacks, then you failed at your healing. You know, there's, there's a lot of like things that can come up with, um, with working with this medicine and being of a more Western or global Northern framework of mind. So, for me, that was really the impetus was that I, I wish I had had more support. I felt that there were lots of people who wished the same things. And, you know, how can we really bridge this gap? Because for the majority of people that come through the retreat center, um, both at the previous center in Peru and through Soltara, you know, oftentimes they're going back to a, to a Western world, a Western reality. So for me, integration is is taking what, in the context of plant medicine, it's taking what was learned and gained during the experience and applying it to your life, um, whether that be changing habits or relationships or, you know, moving ahead on something or moving, letting go of something um, and really just making it an actionable thing in your life. Um, but we kind of talked about this in the, before we started recording integration of the self, right? So reconnecting to these different parts of yourself that maybe you hid or pushed away or pushed down or neglected because of trauma and shame and, you know, life calling back those parts to within yourself and really becoming more whole as a result, alchemizing the pain and the trauma that maybe prevented you from connecting to them and turning that into the keys to your liberation, really. And so that to me, integration is becoming more whole. And, you know, what I realized on a practical sense was we need to have, we need to have first like people that understand the Western frame of mind who also understand the more traditional um, plant medicine approach to healing. So 
working with psychotherapists who have lots of experience with plant medicine and psychedelics who have done this work themselves, who really have gone to the depths of their own medicine work and come through the other side and have the vocabulary to talk to people who have been through this in a therapeutic setting, calling on experts in the field in different ways. Um, you mentioned Dennis McKenna and Gabor Mate. They both have extensive experience with plant medicine and also very much a scientific or psychiatric framework of um, reference. So um, really working with them to create, uh, help, help people to create their own supportive cushion for when they go home. How can we help people set themselves up for success? And, you know, I can go into like more specifics of that, but that was basically the, the approach that um, I felt was needed. And so the integration of my time in Peru was Soltara with a focus on integration. And I think that, you know, that has really helped serve, serve the medicine community, um, at large. And, and now it seems like integration is being talked about more and more, which is really, really exciting. And so, yeah, I hope to continue to learn and involve what that means. Um, you know, you, you said a lot of things in there around, like, how do you take something that can feel so big and land it in, you know, your life beyond the jungle, right? And, you know, I sense this integration between the spiritual realm, right, plant medicine realm, and the material realm that you can sense with all five senses. And I think, you know, I, I would love to hear your take on this, but Soltara, I think, does such an amazing job of languaging what plant medicine is and the potential benefits that it can have on an individual's life in such a way that, you know, I've seen over the years, you know, Soltara attracting a lot of different types of people. And I know Brian Rose came to your center, Aubrey Marcus came to your center, the people that have, you know, a huge impact on the world already and have the potential to share their own experiences then with their communities. You know, you shared a bit about your particular experience with plant medicine, and I'm just curious in the time that you have been in this world, right, from the early days of Peru until now, from where you sit now, right, 2021, we're still in this global pandemic, what do you see as the healing power of plant medicine right now? And maybe for people who have heard of it or have even done it a couple times, but, you know, in this particular context that we're living in now, it's like we can use all the healing we can get, right? So what role can something like ayahuasca and especially Shipibo-led ayahuasca have on, on this moment? So when the pandemic first started, I, I think as many others did, really tried to make sense of it. Um, you know, what, what does this mean on, in a global context? What is this saying about the way we're living life? What does this mean on an energetic level? And, you know, so much has happened in the last handful of years, right? It's it's felt like this collective shadow work has been bubbling to the surface. And at least that's what I've felt, you know, and I, I think that a lot of these sort of global things that are happening are reflections of the collective consciousness. And so I got curious about that with with COVID, with this pandemic, you know, because I felt like we had been 
my, our generation grew up not having the internet until a little bit later. And so we, like, I remember a time without the internet, right? And, you know, our parents' generation really had a specific way of living in the world. And, you know, you go to school, you go to, to be successful, you go to school, you go to college, you get a job, you marry, you have kids, you get the white picket fence, et cetera, and then you're happy. You stay at the same job for 30 years and then you retire and that's that. And so that's the narrative that I was fed as a kid. And that's a lot of the reason why I was on that original path beforehand. And then the internet happened and so much more of the world opened up and it was a, you know, it had a light and a dark side, right? And it felt like with the age of social media coming out and really this being like almost a way of escapism, even though we were more connected, in many ways we were also more disconnected not necessarily connecting with the people right in front of us because now we're on our phones all the time. Social media creating this extra layer of separation between who we actually are and the person on the other side. And so there was this element of disconnect on many levels for me where I was you know, supposed to have a, a meaningful life if I followed this path and I was feeling very empty in massive student debt, pretty anxious and depressed and really feeling like there was a huge gap between how I should be feeling and how I was feeling. And then there was this, this thread of disconnection with social media and, you know, this entire world being kind of shifting as a result. And so this disconnect and, and, you know, this is across all so many systems. And when the pandemic came, it was like, wow, there's a huge disconnect between our, you know, who's actually really suffering because of the pandemic. And, you know, we're supposed to be the richest nation in the world, in the U.S. here. And, you know, there's so many people in poverty and unemployment is so high and, you know, disenfranchised communities are suffering the most as a result. And we can't even take care of our own people. We can't, you know, th this, this idea that everything, like there was, there was this, gap, right, between what we were being told and what was actually happening. And so I felt, and then all of a sudden we were put into isolation and we were like physically disconnected from each other too. And so to me, this pandemic was like, is this actually just a physical manifestation of the disconnection we've been feeling within ourselves for so long? I don't know, but that was part of where I felt like, okay, to me, plant medicine is all about connection. It's all about reconnecting to yourself, to each other, to nature, to the world, to something bigger than yourself, connecting to those parts of you that you haven't connected to, you know, that, that disconnect. Um, the Shapiro actually call it like a susto, which is when a trauma happens, um, a susto is essentially a trauma and the way that they view it is a piece of your soul leaves. Um, and, and, and the purpose of the Icaros, the healing songs that they sing during ceremony is to actually call that piece of the soul back to help you reconnect with it and, and become more whole as a result. And so for me, that is the main way that I am feeling plant medicine can be so healing in these times of disconnection and isolation and 
you know, really numbing out a lot. Like there's a lot of, there's a cornucopia of ways that society tells us we can fix our problems, but actually are we really fixing them or are we escaping from them or numbing ourselves to them, further disconnecting us from uh, the power that lies in actually addressing them directly? Um, and that force of plant medicine, I think, fills that gap. Um, at least it, that's what I've seen for people that come through and, and within my own journey as well. So yeah, that was a long answer to your question. But <laughs> And, you know, let's stay on this like Shipibo tradition because, um, you know, thanks to the Shipibo uh, people, you know, we have access to this incredibly powerful medicine. And maybe we can sort of paint a little picture for our listeners because I've been to Soltara, but um, I would love to hear, you know, when someone decides to take the step in their life and to calm down and experience medicine for the first time. Could you could you paint a picture of like what a ceremony looks like with the Shipibo people at the center? I mean, there's amazing photos on the website, but yeah, if you could just be our virtual tour guide and just kind of open up that scene a little bit so people can familiarize or connect or just understand what what it means to actually go through a ceremony. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way that the Shipibo hold space and work with this medicine. They are one of the oldest carriers of this medicine. So there's many different indigenous tribes throughout Amazon, including in Ecuador and Colombia and Brazil and, and Peru. So um, there's many different ways of working with the medicine. And I was introduced to it first with the Shipibo. And that's really felt very, very true to me because they are very, they're very straightforward and, and I say simple in that there's not a lot of extra stuff that happens in the ceremony. The tools that they use for ceremony are mapacho, which is sacred jungle tobacco, agua florida, which is like floral water, um, and their song, which is the Icaros. Um, and what they believe is happening, and so there's no like musical instruments, there's no feathers, there's no altar, um, and it's in the dark, it's at night, and there's a lot of space and silence involved in the ceremony as well. So, you know, from contrasted to certain traditions, I think it can maybe seem very stark, but for me, that that has really allowed me to go very deep with it. And when the healers sing, the way that they actually gain their healing songs, their Icaros, is they undergo what's called plant dietas. Um, that's essentially how they apprentice to become a healer. So it's kind of like the jungle medicine school, basically, or medical school. It's a years-long apprenticeship, usually under the guidance of another maestro, um, and working with different plants that are master plant teachers. So you, if you think of the the healer as maybe the surgeon in the hospital, the plant spirits are sort of like the doctors underneath them. And they'll call on these spirits to work through them through the form of song um, into the energetic body of the patient. The way that they gain the Icaros or learn them 
is by dieting with these master plant teachers. So they'll drink a little bit of the of a tea made with this master plant and they'll have a very, very strict diet, usually in isolation. So no salt at all, no sugar, oil, fat, um, sexual energy exchange, anything like that. Just very um, wanting to, to clean the vessel of their own body to be able to connect with the subtle energies of the plants. And if you do that with devotion over a long period of time, it can be, you know, anywhere from one month to over a year sometimes, then at a certain point you will have cleaned yourself enough to really connect with that plant and potentially the plant will then gift you with a song. And that's essentially a tool. It's, it's, what the Shapiwa believe is that it's the main conduit of the healing work done and it's the plant working through them as the vessel. And I've, I am a hundred percent in agreement that this is the case because I've received healings. I've received Icaros without drinking medicine and you can feel it. You can feel the healing that's happening. So in the ceremony, it's a, yeah, it's a beauty. I mean, then there's a lot more to it, but I think the cosmology of the Shipibo is a very animistic one. So they believe that everything has a spirit um, and, you know, plants are teachers and they impart knowledge and they connect to those plants through ayahuasca. So it can um, help them to connect with the spirit of that plant and then gain whatever knowledge the plant wants to impart. And so you do this with enough plants and, and then you have enough tools in your toolkit to really start to be able to work on people. And so, you know, the healers that we work with have trained for decades, many, many years, um, and are able to call on or become a channel for really um, the plants to, to work through them. So the ceremony itself, the people work in smaller group sizes than other traditions. At Sultara, our maximum capacity is 21 guests, and we have two healers, so we have a team. It's a male and female um, team, and then we have three facilitators as well. And the facilitators are um, typically Westerners who have a lot of experience with plant medicine and kind of act as the liaison between the healers and the guests. And so everyone sits in a circle, and the ceremony starts at night once it's dark, and you come up and you drink one by one. And then there's a period of silence where the medicine just we allow the medicine to sink into the body and start to work and then after a period of time the healers will start to sing first to the space to really set the energetic container and then after the, a period of time they'll go around and sing individually to each person based on what they're seeing in the moment um, energetically as well as a discussion that people have with the healers individually um, just kind of talking about their intentions and what they're there for so kind of matching that with what they see in the moment and the ceremonies typically last about four or five hours um, just depending on what's needed and um, you know people of course stay in the maloka a lot longer and sometimes spend the night there but but yeah, that's, that's kind of how it goes. Um, you know, it really is a process. So, you know, the first ceremony is really just about opening that relationship and gaining trust and really kind of laying the foundation for the work. So we say it is a process and, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this, Tiffany, it kind of takes multiple ceremonies to really dig into the deeper layers of the work and be able to trust and open and surrender enough to, to get there as well. Yes. I'm so in that <laughs> embodied <laughs> state of Sultara right now as you're talking. I wish I could be there so badly. I know. <laughs> Just reach through the screen here. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
goodness. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and I, you did such an amazing job of painting that picture and, you know, but like the experience of actually drinking medicine, it's, it's so indescribable, you know, and I, and, and to your point, you know, depending on how long you stay, I was there for four days, but like every time it was a different ceremony. Exactly. <laughs> Every time. Every time. There was no way to predict what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it works on every layer too, right? It's like, it's not just mental. It's physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's like, yeah, it's, it, it, there's so many ways and inroads, I think, into healing. And it's so beautiful to me because that's such, it's such a personalized medicine. I mean, it knows it knows me better than I know myself. And I don't know any other <laughs> medicine that has that level of intelligence. <laughs> it really feels like a spirit, you know, like it's, it's undeniable for me. Right, right. I remember before coming to Soltara, you know, I, I learned about the different names and grandmother was one of them. And that helped me feel a little bit more at ease with the spirit, like giving her a personality or just a way to sort of humanize the spirit in the best way that I could because it's still a spirit. It's still an energy. It's still a plant. We actually try not too much to give it a gender. I know it shows up for me as a woman as well or feminine kind of energy, but um, I just want to jump in here because I think that there is a bit of a misconception that the people refer to it as like mom, mother ayahuasca. And that's actually more of a westernized, um, term that's used. So they actually call it uni, which is the Shipibo word. Um, it means wisdom. And they're, they're the healers, the Shipibo term for healers is onanya, which is like wisdom keeper. Um, but uni for them uh, doesn't have a gender. But And, and we want to leave that open for people because it can show up in different ways to different people. But for, for me as well, it shows up as a feminine. So um, yeah, I totally feel that as well. Nice. It's it's a much uh it's more inclusive, I guess, right? Or it just it allows <laughs> the 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 power of it to just be it without, I guess, categorizing it, which I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, even having come to Soltara two two, three years ago, like still integrate stuff. And so you know how do how do the Shipibo see that in terms of in terms of integration and you know just how how much time can pass and you can still collect lessons, insights, embodiment, connection? Um, do they have a particular way of, of seeing the integration process that's perhaps different or complementary to what you shared before? Yeah, it's a great question. So within the this context of their work, and this is just from what the healers that I work with have told me. So I don't want to necessarily say like, this is what all Shipibo believe. Um, but um, one of the healers I had a conversation with, you know, really talked about this as like building a house. And, you know, you really need to start with the foundation of the house first. And you can't necessarily like decide on the roof or what walls you want until like the base is, is solid. Right. And so some people come in and, you know, they may, they might have a solid base. And so then their ceremony is about, you know, filling the house with 
people and furniture and community and how are we going to plant the garden outside and you know really and and you know that can show up as a very visionary experience or a very heart opening or enlightening kind of experience um which is beautiful and probably most of what people read on the internet is is those types of experiences but actually like so much of this work is really foundational and if you're coming in and you know for one reason or another the foundation of your house is not stable then that work is actually a lot more subtle and potentially physical honestly is how it it can show up for a lot of people where you know there's not very many visions there's not even very many like direct insights that come through it's really like oh I was purging I was shaking I was sweating I was you know it was a miserable time right but that work is so important because you have to get the foundation right. And that's where the energy body really plays a big part. And, you know, you can't, I mean, you know, we're learning so, I mean, you and I have even talked about the mind body connection, right? We're learning so much about how like the mind is just the tip of the iceberg and the body is really what has evolved over millions of years into this innate, highly um, attuned, you know, instrument in the world. And it's a lot more important to our our mental health than we actually maybe have given it credit before. But the Shipibo do, they understand that. And so, so much of this is like, well, before you do anything else, you got to purge out some of this, you know, heavy energy, whatever it is, or you have to like release these blockages or, um, you know, move this through you in some way. And so, you know, that, that will then allow you to like go back into the world and like maybe start to build some walls, but that part is first. And so, you know, to kind of circle back, it's like their integration is really like, let's get the foundation really solid so that you can go out into the world and build your house. I mean, it's, that's, you know, it's not all about the visions that you receive. Like, uh, one healer joked, like, if you want to see visions, go watch a movie. Like, (laughs) this is like, that's not what this is about. Right. And so, yeah, really, really, um, having the, getting the body right first will allow, um, the rest of the time, rest of the healing to take place. And I think that, that's what comes to mind. That's what comes up for me when, when you talk about like how they approach, like looking ahead on the healing journey and, and integrating that. Yeah. It, it calls to mind, um, what I think I shared before, which is you get what you really need, not what you think you need. And that ego kind of takes a seat and the body just, you know, has the experience that it needs to have. And I love these metaphors because, um, You know, it can be very a big thing to describe what happens when you drink medicine because every person, every body, every mind is different, which is great because I I think it it can't be a one size fits all. Um, It just would be impossible. I think that's the potency of this medicine. It's like, you know, you're not just like taking a pill and and changing the the, you know, chemical serotonin levels in your brain like you're you're going in and you're like wow, my anger at my mother is what's potentially causing my Crohn's disease. You know, like there's like, there's like a huge way that you can really get in there and, and see this, this connection that like, Hey, you know, like these parts are interconnected. Like you're, emotional trauma lives in your body. Like your, your spiritual disconnection is going to affect your mental health. You know, like this is, they're all connected. And that's what I love so much about this approach, you know, rather than for me, just like, you know, 
doing cancer research and trying to kind of pull some biological levers and, you know, and that's all well and good and we need that too. But, you know, when we, what I found so fascinating and, and potent about this work is that, you know, a lot of times when people heal the emotional roots of physical problems, the physical problems will disappear. I've seen that happen over and over again. And I mean, you know, we, I've talked to you about your journey. Like it's, it's so interconnected. And like the fact that psychedelics and plant medicine are revealing this connection is so powerful. I mean, that's the, our innate capacity for healing just continues to blow me away. Yeah. I, I, I recall understanding mind-body connection intellectually, I think that's a very, you know, culture, especially Western culture, is very primed to, I guess, accept that more today than ever before. But actually to experience that in the body, not just intellectually, it's a whole different game. And that's when things start to get really, whatever the adjective is, juicy came to mind, but really deep and whoa, I I can't believe I didn't know this before. Um, It's not something you can just read in a book, close it and be like, that's great. Cause then you're, you're really missing the, the, the actual healing that's taking place. I, you, you mentioned this example of maybe the anger with your mom is causing Crohn's disease. Is that a, re- is that a real story that you, that you experienced, um, or, or witnessed someone experience or, you know, are these the types of experience that people generally have at Soltara? So it's not like a general experience. Um, I did, there was actually, I was, I I kind of amalgamated two different stories there in my head when I did that example, but there was actually a woman who came through um, in Peru who uh, had lupus and kept seeing this like red dot in her visions, in her, in her vision space um, during ceremonies. And she was like so confused about like what was going on with this red dot. It just wouldn't disappear. It would be in the bucket. She would see it when she purged and took uh, multiple trips down. It was like many ceremonies to really come to this understanding that that this represented her anger with her mother. And when she finally purged that out specifically, the dot disappeared and her lupus symptoms drastically improved like permanently. And it was just like, yeah, it was, it, it was just one of those stories that was like, wow, like that is powerful. Like, go figure. <laughs> Who knows? Like if, and that's just like, honestly, that's just, that's just the medicine revealing that connection. That's not causing it. That's just showing you, Hey, these two things are connected. Right. And like, even for, for me, actually, um, this kind of an example, because I ended up setting up Soltara was like, I'm really glad I had no idea what I was getting into because I didn't know how intense and challenging it was going to be to start a business from scratch and really commend all of the entrepreneurs out there because yeah, it was, it was, I pushed myself very, very hard for a long time. And like the great irony is that I was like killing myself working for a healing center. And eventually like I started to experience physical pain, um, in my neck and shoulder. Um, there was just like a lot of computer work and being, you know, talking on the phone and all of this. And so ended up getting diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome, which is like a pinched nerve. And, you know, I first tried all of these sort of allopathic remedies. It's so funny the way that, you know, this journey unfolds because it's like, 
I, I didn't want to necessarily address the root cause right away. So I just was trying to fix it with external things because I was like, Oh, I'm young. And I was just like angry at my body for not keeping up. I'm like, I'm only 29. Like this is, I should be able to keep up. And I was like angry at it. And I was like cortisol shots and, you know, like physical therapy, which was okay. But anyway, you know, it took a little bit of time and like quite a few ceremonies to realize like, Hey, this is actually like my body signaling that I'm not living in a sustainable way. And I need to like maybe separate my own identity and self-worth from my productivity because I'm clearly very attached to my productivity as part of my identity. And to a, to an extent where I'm just, I'm just sabotaging my own health as a result. And that was really hard to face because we live in a society that values productivity and you are as good as your job, right? And what you put out in the world and what you do. And and so like understanding my own patterning with that and my own belief system and then really working to decouple it because I was forced to because I couldn't work for more than 15 minutes at a time for a long period of time because my body, in the words of Gabor Mate, literally said no. And sort of coming full circle with that, like there was a time, like when I started to understand that my, like like detach my identity from my productivity and really start to like, okay, what does self-care look like? What does healthy boundaries look like? What is actually like being grateful to my body for being so much smarter than I am and saying like, hey, this isn't working. And if you want to actually reach your potential, you're going to have to slow down like and, and give that space. And so this shift from like, being angry at my body to being so grateful that it's teaching me things was actually what has created this like positive feedback loop and helped actually heal the pain. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, comes full circle, man. It's crazy. (laughs) That is wild. And I loved the irony that you pointed out of you are stressing your life out to support a healing center. And it, it really actually reminds me of, um, I mean, right, just uh, Joe Tafor, who was part of the retreat that I did, and he wrote this book, The Fellowship of the River, and he said that he was, like, burnt out and, you know, experiencing all these negative symptoms at medical school, and that's actually very, very normal. Like, 75% of the medical school population go through burnout, ironically, trying to save other people's lives, right? So it's it's very, you know, it's it's it feels like a very familiar story, but not a healthy story. And the fact that you recognize this about yourself is huge, and I'm sure has had just seismic results on Sultara as well. And the people that you work with, and the and the Shipibo healers, and even the land. I mean, right? It's 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 limitless. And this is this very much shifts into what I wanted to ask you about because. You know, on the show, we love to explore what's the old story that's dying away, that's no longer really relevant, and um, what's the new story that's emerging. And I see you as someone who, you know, you you are languaging and bridging spirit worlds, material world. You're bridging science, psychedelic, and plant world. You're bridging perhaps what traditional business looks like and conscious business, right? And creating this new alchemy that can perhaps be a model for what a a conscious business organization can be from this moment forward. And, um, you know, as as a founding partner of Soltara, you know, how how do you 
like balance, you know, I guess keeping a, a business alive so that you can support the livelihood of, you know, your staff and the Shipibo healers, right? And at the same time, protect the integrity of this very sacred medicine and this indigenous wisdom that has been around for, what, thousands of years um, in the face of, you know, this context of, you know, globalization and um, capitalism and, you know, tourism, which likes to just take stuff that's really amazing and without understanding the consequences, you know, take something and almost spoil it, you know, without even having intended that in the first place. So I guess my question is, like, how do you balance the two, like, running a business that can support people and their livelihood, but also protecting the integrity of medicine? Yeah, for me, it really comes back to relationships. You know, we, the healers that we work with and their families, like, we're we're all family. Like, you know, four, four of the healers that we work with quarantined with us for seven months and, uh, stayed longer after that, you know, and, and really like connecting with their families, connecting with their communities, supporting the projects that they're doing back home, supporting the sustainability of ayahuasca, supporting, like getting to know them as people, because that's, you know, we're a team, we're doing this together. And um, I, I think that it's really important that these questions that you're asking are being asked. And, you know, it's something that I, I think about constantly, and I constantly kind of try and check myself and check Soltara, you know, it's like, how are we acting in integrity? And like, that's what really comes up for me is like, I consider the healers that we work with, like family, you know, they're, they're just part of, of us. And so it's beautiful because it allows, you know, for, for them, it's an opportunity to continue to maintain and share um, the, their knowledge and their practices and their tradition in a way that's really sustainable for them. I mean, we, we pay them really, really well, um, as they deserve. I wish we could pay them more. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for them to, to help their community and their families and keep their tradition alive. And so when it comes to the ceremony space, um, you know, we have, we have like a structure of like, okay, you know, we have to, we have to have like the healers sit in the middle because we need space for the people on the outside. So there's like little structural things that do have to be like consistent across, you know, different healer teams of healers. But when it comes to really the medicine work, I mean, it's, that's them, you know, like they, they own that space. They influence, you know, if there's any plant treatments, like we really just give them the autonomy of that space because I mean, they know how to do it. You know, it's like we we wouldn't like hire an expert surgeon and then try and tell the surgeon how to do an operation. Right. So whereas, you know, I do see issues of appropriation and colonialism where, for example, people might do some ceremonies with um, an indigenous healer and then, you know, kind of try and go and make money themselves by offering those ceremonies and not actually like reciprocating the knowledge or wisdom or, or, you know, financial energetic exchange back to the communities that this, this work comes from. Um, and so, you know, I think that's really important and it's a, t to me, like I do have some, some trepidation about, I I'm obviously a, like, I'm a, I'm a scientist at heart too. Like I, I'm so excited about the psychedelic science that's happening right now. And I have concern that 
the medicalization model and the scientific model isn't actually able to capture and or doesn't fit the framework of traditional medicine practices, you can't just put ayahuasca in a pill and, you know, you can't study the effects of ayahuasca like as a plant medicine without the context of ceremony. You can't just go into a clinic and expect to have the same experience as if you're, you know, in a ceremonial ritual context with healers who, you know, are holding that space from. So it's, it's like, there's this, I have a lot of concern. Um, and I want to support the mainstreaming of, um, you know, holistic healing and, and plant medicine in general, but really understanding that, it's actually like more than half the equation, the ceremony itself, um, especially in the context of ayahuasca. And like I said, I've gone into ceremony and received healing without even drinking. And in fact, in the old days, only the healer would drink and the patient would simply receive the song. And so, you know, again, I think, I think really wanting to hone in on the understanding that this is holistic. You can't just, like you said, take, take, off the top what you think you need or want and then expect the same results. Um, it's a very colonial way of looking at things. And so, yeah, really trying to honor and platform this way of working with the medicine um, or just honoring the traditions themselves. Yeah. it's. I love how you started it, though. It all starts with relationships. And perhaps, you know, when you have that trust, you can also trust that the setting, right, the set and setting are huge components of of the healing and you can lean into that um, and no pill will ever be able to capture set and setting, right, unless there's a set and setting created around that, but that's another <laughs> rabbit hole of thought. Yeah, yeah. And it takes a team, right? It takes a, a village and it's like, you know, just being on the same team, it's not less versus them in any sense of the word. It's like, how can we come together and really help people heal and help keep, you know, this amazing wisdom alive and, you know, thriving really, how can we help, help them thrive from it too? You know, it's, it's what a gift that they've shared, you know, with, with us and yeah, really honoring that. Yeah. And, and on the lines of, of thriving too, um, you know, I've watched Soltara evolve over the years and, you know, I've seen that you've, you know, also been very thoughtful about how to bring this medicinal wisdom to, um, perhaps like underrepresented communities or to people who don't have access to, you know, being able to just, you know, buy a ticket and come down to Costa Rica and drink medicine. And, you know, this past year too, like the whole racial injustice story and conversation really accelerated and took center stage. And I'm really curious because I see you guys doing this, um, but like, how do you guys think about that? Just, you know, access and and who who has access and who doesn't and how can we support those who don't have that, you know, financial privilege to to drink medicine? And maybe those are the people who probably could really benefit from it the most. Um, yeah. Is there is there a way that you guys have um yeah, put your put your minds and hearts together to to think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this is this is definitely a question that's come up since we started and also especially yeah, in the last year. Um there's so much trauma 
happening. And, you know, in a lot of um, communities that are underserved by a lot of society, there's so much more trauma. And so I totally agree with you that, you know, potentially these people could benefit the most from it. Um, so we actually started a, a BIPOC scholarship fund last year, um, specifically for, for BIPOC and really understand like with the, with the intention of like, yes, understanding this is, this is something that is an investment. And there's a lot of people out there who maybe are willing to, to take the leap in their own healing journey, but maybe just don't have the financial means. And so, um, we started that scholarship fund, um, and we, uh, we alternate that with our regular scholarship fund. So every other month we choose, um, it's like a lottery drawing there. Um, we are also really in support for since the beginning, since before we started actually of, um, the Chakruna Institute for psychedelic plant medicines. And you probably know them. They're, um, really, really entrenched in the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation around psychedelics in general, um, filling a gap that I think is much needed because there's a lot of platforms that really do kind of highlight white men, <laughs> essentially, um, even in the psychedelic movement. Right. And so it's a, a conversation that needs to be had and like, whether that's, um, you know, BIPOC or gender, you know, queerness and across different traditions and languages and, um, indigenous tribes. And so, um, you know, they hold conferences, they offer education and we, we've sponsored, um, many of their conferences and, or co-sponsored many of their conferences and continue to kind of support their mission and help platform them as as well. We also work with, um, we donate to Amazon watch, um, which is a company that, or a organization that really works on the front lines with indigenous communities down the Amazon to help protect the land by supporting indigenous communities because they're the best protectors of that land. And so, and then, you know, when it comes to actually having people come for a retreat, we offer payment plans. Um, we really try and work with people, you know, we understand this is an investment. Costa Rica itself is like four times the cost to run a center than Peru, which is something we did not anticipate <laughs> coming into. So we, we really tried at first to apply Peruvian prices to the center here. And it just was like totally unsustainable for us. And, and in Costa Rica, everything's really above board, which is great. And it, it's like a lot more overhead for that. But we actually, so we ended up having to raise our prices um, a couple of times since we opened. And with that, though, we've also raised our quality of service and we've expanded our team and really been able to offer more supportive services like start to finish and really pay the facilitators and healers and everyone who goes into making this experience. You know, people want to be paid for their work and people who are really good at their work need to be paid accordingly. And so there's this balance, right? Because it's like, you wouldn't go to like a, like a top surgeon and expect them to give you a surgery for free. But at the same time, it's like really recognizing like as a movement, we need to be very conscious of these questions and create inroads for people that don't have inroads typically for this. So yeah, it's definitely a good question. Wow. So much, so much. I think, I mean, yeah, I, I I didn't plan to to say this, but you know, like the words conscious capitalism, I struggle with. But um, you know, I'm leaning more into right, like when you when you really care for your employees, your staff, the community that you work with, um, 
you know, your customers or clients and like you really put those relationships first, then those companies, organizations and businesses tend to do better in the end because you have that loyalty and this whole thing runs because of the people, right? And the 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 the, the presence that they bring and the gifts they bring and the talents they bring and the thinking they bring and the questions they bring. So it feels very intuitive um, that that would be the approach, especially because you all have that connection to Umi and ayahuasca and, you know, have almost like the spirit as, as, a, as a part of the team as well. Oh yes, for I mean, really, uh, Uni's the boss here. Like, I, like I go into ceremony, I'm like, all right, tell me where I've messed up. Tell me what I need to do better. Just like check in with the big one up there. Um, yeah, no, and and you know, I really have to hand it to like the fact that like it's the team that we have that really makes this place. And you know, I think in the beginning, like with any business where you have somewhat of a scarcity mindset. And also, you know, for me, it was like coming from like Peru and just really wanting to like give everyone discounts and just like really keep the prices very low. And, you know, but we couldn't, we couldn't do that and also have keep the people that really, you know, would serve this, this medicine the best, you know? And so that's been something that has been like basically the entire reason. I mean, we, like the majority of our, our operational cost is, is staff payroll and, you know, they create the entire experience. Um, so, so that's something that I think is really important. And I'm glad that you pointed to that because it's, it's been a hard lesson, honestly, for us to learn. It was a bit of a growing pain to really realize like, this is what we need to invest in. So, yeah. It's, it's definitely and and you know if people are curious too on our website they can see a breakdown of our our pricing structure um, to get more clarity on that too because we really do value transparency when it comes to that. Nice, yeah, we'll definitely include the website in the show notes for sure. And you know as we wind down, I have two more questions, and I usually like to end on sort of this envisioning note. And I'm glad you brought up Chakruna because I read something on Chakruna that I wanted to read that kind of contextualizes sort of the importance of plant medicine during these times that we're living in. Um, So it goes, quote, just like a psychedelic experience, coronavirus has been inherently destabilizing for both our inner and outer realities, often producing the sense that we are in a state of crisis. The concept of, quote, spiritual emergency was coined by Stanislav and Christina Groff, Uh, in 1989, and is used to refer to states of consciousness that are often mistaken for mental illness, but are differentiated in that they are crises of personal transformation. So earlier this spring, philosopher Jules Evans hinted at the connection between the concept of spiritual emergency and the collective crises that many of us are now facing as a result of the pandemic. Just like spiritual crises, he urges us to reframe coronavirus as, quote, a moment of intense species connection in which we need to learn to embrace uncertainty. (laughs) So we can read that, you know, 10 times more or however much to just show that we can reframe everything, right? And while I do not wish a coronavirus again on any species, there has been so much that 
you know, we have all individually and collectively learned in these times. And just sitting with this energy of, um, you know, seeing this moment as an opportunity to shift into something else, you know, how 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 can you and the team at Saltara think about um, how this pandemic moment can be an opportunity to think about the future of Soltara and and what could, yeah, what could that look like? Um, I, I know that's a big question, but um, how do you see COVID kind of shaping the future of Soltara and the, the healing power of, of medicine? Yeah, thank you. Um, I really love love that last part of the quote that was talking about how it was a species wide coming together, connecting and embracing uncertainty. I mean, that's so, that rings so true. And that, that so reminds me of the, the medicine space. Um, for, for Soltara, for me, I think that this is an opportunity to really understand our interconnectedness with nature and with each other in a way that is starkly real and felt and embodied by so many people. And, you know, actually Amazon Watch um, recently posted something. I would recommend checking out their Instagram profile because they talk about the interconnectedness between pandemics and biodiversity and how as we reduce biodiversity and and sort of strip away the homes and the forests of all these animals and then they're sort of forced out of their homes and then the major the major prey are killed off and it leaves all of the essentially disease carriers the people the the species that are lower on the food chain that then infiltrate communities and then they're very much closer to humans and there's much more chance for disease to spread when we're, when we take away their homes and then, you know, kind of force ourselves into it. And so, you know, that really struck me as well because the way that, because of the way that I think plant medicine really orients people to our interconnectedness with nature and with each other, really understanding that in an embodied way as if our life depends on it, because it does. And, you know, how can, how can we at Soltara really promote that connection to nature and really help to preserve the biodiversity of the Amazon of Costa Rica, which also holds a lot of the world's biodiversity. So really helping these places to thrive and benefit from people actually coming to do this work. Um, so that's like outside of, of the people actually coming. And then within the context of the people actually coming, you know, just realizing how much trauma there is and how much of, how much mental how much mental health isn't being served by the current medical system in most of society and how this is an opportunity for this to be an adjunct modality. I'm not saying it has to be, you know, allopathic medicine versus traditional medicine. Like it, I don't think those things have to be at war with each other. And I think that is a lot of the, the, the way that they butt heads right now. Um, but that seems like totally, you know, I, I understand where that's coming from, but I don't think it's necessary. I think they can be complementary. And so, you know, how can we just really support the mental health crises that's taking place, help people connect to themselves, connect to the world and 
you know, really have this more holistic approach to what healing and what healthiness and wellness actually means, um, you know, for each person. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, beautifully said, Melissa. I love your capacity to really speak at the macro level in a way that isn't like the scary doom and gloom, but is like, how? what's the opportunity in this? And how can we really seize this moment as a way to embody that interconnection again, which is always there. You know, it's always there if we want to tune into that. It is. And it's so healing to tune into that. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, wow. We're more than the sum of our parts. We are. <laughs> that's where abundance comes in to me. That's like, that's what it means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much abundance in what you shared. And, you know, to close out, I always love to ask our guests if there's um, – a final message or a question that you'd like to leave our audience with to reflect on beyond this conversation. You said so much already, but if it could be something that you're also just, you know, wisdom that you use for yourself that you just want to impart before we close out. So I guess something that has been coming up for me um, that I've been learning more about and wanting to incorporate more into the <clears throat> integration aspect is this understanding of of the nervous system and resilient and cultivating resilience within our bodies, within our nervous systems to be able to withstand and overcome challenges from the perspective of the soma, the body. Um, so somatic experiencing is something that I've been really drawn to recently and wanting to learn more about. And I feel this interconnection between this burgeoning field of somatic experiencing, which is very much like nervous system, body-based trauma healing, um, and plant medicine, which very much works on the physical and, and, and on the nervous system. And if you read Joe Tefor's book, The Fellowship of the River, you'll find that his theory is about how, how this is very connected. And so, yeah, really, I guess, wanting to share or offer this idea that our bodies are really the foundation for our healing and that, you know, what are, what are the opportunities for us to cultivate resilience within our own bodies and selves that can create much more long-term lasting change than, you know, kind of going at it from just this pure mental approach. Um, it's something that I am really excited to incorporate more into our integration program and into our trainings and things like that. So I guess I'll just leave that little tidbit there and say, like, I highly recommend if anyone's interested in learning more about plant medicine to also maybe check out somatic experiencing because I've healed more understanding the wisdom of my body than any, and I've actually changed my mental state more through my body than any sort of cognitive-based therapy has um, has worked for me in the past. So I think there's something really potent there that I'm excited to, yeah, learn more about. I love it. I love it. It's <laughs> all these different modalities that are working together as a team. And yeah, I love that you are so open and curious and that will only sort of translate into Saltara as well, being that, um, yeah, the space where you can really support anyone, you know, in their journey is about integration, right? <laughs> it's all about that integration. <laughs> 
Oh, wow, Melissa. It's been such a pleasure to have you on this show. And, um, you know, for for our listeners, you know, we're going to include Saltara's website in the show notes so that we can continue to, you know, follow the work and and follow the, the evolution of, yeah, Umi Ayahuasca um, at your center. And thank you so much for being with us here today, Melissa. It was such a treat, really. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. Always amazing to talk to you. Thank you for those amazing questions. (laughs) (laughs) My soul is sparked. And for our listeners, if your soul is sparked as well, please, um, you know, spread this conversation far and wide. Give us a share, subscribe, or review. Um, We really appreciate your support, and we will see you next week. The Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.